Well, this is week number four of the series we've been in, Parental Guidance Required. And it really has been a great month for us as a church. The feedback's been very, very positive. And I just want to encourage you, a lot of people have asked me about the parenting small group that I've referenced throughout this series. We have an eight-week parenting small group. It's a video curriculum, very similar to what we're going to do this summer, uh, that was actually done by my pastor, Chris Hodges. Eight weeks called Parenting on Purpose. And so if this series has resonated with you and you kind of want to keep it going in your life or you want more, I would encourage you to consider hosting a parenting small group. And again, you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to be skilled. You just have to have the ability to play a video. For eight weeks this fall semester, we'd love to give you the video curriculum for Parenting on Purpose. You can invite a couple families together that are all in that parenting stage of life. Watch the eight weeks together. You will get a lot out of it, especially if this series has kind of hit a nerve or uh, uh, kind of inspired something inside of you. As we get into tonight, I found some more parenting slides for you because the last couple weeks I did this, my wife said they weren't all that funny. Uh, a couple of them were, a couple of them weren't. So I'm going to give it a shot tonight and see if I found some better slides for you. Great parenting advice, parenting tips, and just kind of funny parenting humor. This first one I am absolutely guilty of. Currently helping my son search for his chocolate that I ate last night. How many of you have ever been there? I know we'll find it. Yeah, I know exactly where it is. I love this one. Parenthood is telling your kids they can't eat brownies for breakfast, then eating brownies for breakfast after they leave for school. How many of you have done that? I've done that one too. Uh, I love this one. The quickest way for a mother to get her children's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Isn't it true? A lot of truth to that one. Uh, this, is, this is a lot of wisdom here. A little parenting tip. If you don't know where your children are in the house, turn off the internet and watch them magically appear. I mean, no, that works in this modern world that we live in. Uh, it's not easy being a mother. If it were easy, fathers would do it. Great wisdom from the Golden Girls. Uh, I love this one. My daughter woke me up at 6.06 a.m. today instead of her usual 6 a.m. Because we let her stay up five hours past her bedtime last night. That is a rough situation right there. Uh, I know this guy having a newborn. Tonight at 3 a.m., I'll start crying like crazy and make them try to guess why. How many of you have ever met that kid before? And then finally, for all the moms here today, you mean to tell me your real name isn't Mom? I remember when my son discovered that for the first time. It was not a good day. As we get into tonight's message, what I want to talk about is the power for parenting. What is the power for parenting? The power to enable you to be an effective parent. And as always, let me give you the rules for this series, for this message, for every message we do around here as a church family. And that's simply this. When we hear God's standard, all of us are going to see areas of our life where we fall short. And it's very, very easy for us to feel beat up for us to feel condemned, for us to allow shame and guilt to come in because we say to ourselves, well, if you could have taught me this 15 years ago, if I would have heard this 10 years ago, maybe I wouldn't have made all of the mistakes that I've made. Maybe I wouldn't have so many regrets if I could have learned this earlier in life. Now, all of us have those areas of our life. 
And if you allow it to happen, Satan would love nothing more than to come in tonight, whisper in your ear, beat you up over the shame of your past. But I want to make it clear, we are not here to condemn your past. We're here to fight for your future. There is grace over your past. We want to focus on your future and what God has in front of you. And there are a number of parents in our church who kind of fall into the category of parents of prodigal children. Now, a prodigal, uh, biblically speaking, is somebody who kind of falls away from God, falls into sin, falls away from their family, makes some very unhealthy life choices. And I know there's a lot of parents in that situation who carry a lot of guilt, carry a lot of uh, regret, carry a lot of, uh, if I could have done it differently, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Well, I just want to encourage you a little bit that I know a parent who was perfect in, in just about every way. Like, I, you can't think of one thing this parent did wrong, like perfect, created an incredible environment for his kids. And yet he had two children who both fell into sin and betrayed him. And that parent's name was God, and the kids were Adam and Eve. So I just want to say, you, can, you can't take all the responsibility. There are things that all of us can do to contribute to situations, but at the end of the day, people have free will and a choice. And I want you to kind of give yourself a little bit of grace if you're in that situation. So tonight, we're going to look at the power for parenting. And, and the foundation for tonight's message, the underlying principle is this rules without relationship lead to rebellion rules without relationship lead to rebellion one of the principles i talked about last week is we're not here to control their behavior we're here to train their heart training their heart is actually more important than controlling their behavior because you can control their behavior for 18 years and then when they get away from home they run wild because you never train their heart and this is the essence of Christianity. I encourage you, if you've missed last week or any of the messages, watch them online. Last week's message on discipline, we've gotten more positive feedback uh, on that message than just about any message we've done in a while. Powerful teaching on discipline. And this is the essence of Christianity. God is not into behavior modification. God is into inner heart transformation. That's the goal. Christianity is not a bunch of thou shalt nots and don't, don't, don'ts. Christianity is about... We fall in love with God and everything else flows out of that. It's all about the heart. And that's, that's what this is telling us. Rules, trying to control their behavior over building relationship, connecting with their heart will backfire on you as a parent. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give you four very simple principles that will enable you to build the type of relationship with your children where you have influence in their lives to lead them in a very powerful, effective way. Four very simple principles. And if you're not a parent tonight, these are principles you can apply just about to any relationship in life and actually apply to you. And I'll tie it together at the end of the message tonight. Here's principle number one, acceptance. Acceptance. Unconditional acceptance brings a child a sense of security, makes them feel safe, makes them feel Secure. And the flip side is also true. Conditional acceptance brings a child a sense of insecurity. Their self-worth is plagued. They live in a state of fear, never knowing if they're doing enough, working hard enough, achieving enough. 
And so often we as parents unintentionally create conditional environments of acceptance. And it happens a lot when we only reward our children when they do good or, or when they achieve something, as opposed to letting them know even when they fail, we love them. My son was on a flag football team last season, and their team was terrible, to be honest. They, they didn't win very many games at all. And it was his first season playing flag football. And I actually liked the fact that they weren't that good because it gave me this opportunity his first season playing football that when they would lose a game, I would take him out for ice cream afterwards and just love on him. And I love you so much. And, and, and you're my son. And he's like, but dad, we lost. I said, I just want you to know that win or lose, you're still my son. And I accept you. And I love you. Now, I like it when he wins. But at the same time, it doesn't change the way I feel about him. He's loved whether he wins or whether he loses. Unconditional acceptance. This is one of the things that marked the life of Jesus. Before he began his ministry, when Jesus was being baptized, it's the only time we have the audible voice of God, the Father, speaking to his Son. In Matthew chapter 3, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. You are mine. You belong to me. You're part of my family. There's this level of unconditional acceptance that Jesus received that gave him a security to launch his ministry, understanding who he was. Your identity is so incredibly important. That's why Paul goes on to say, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Let me ask you, how did Christ accept you? He accepted you regardless of your behavior. It had nothing to do with your performance when you were accepted by God. In fact, for most of us, our performance was pretty terrible. Our life was pretty messy. And God gave us unconditional acceptance, not because of what we did in our performance and our behavior and our actions, but all because of him and who he was. It's the process of being born Again, when you're, when you're born in life, you're given a last name. When my eldest son was born, I didn't put him on a three-year probation before I gave him our last name to just kind of see whether it was going to work out or not. Like, we got to see how this thing plays out before you get the last name. Like, if it doesn't play out well, you're getting your mom's last name. You're not getting mine. Like, we didn't do that. No, he was made a Jane the day he was born. He was part of me. He was accepted by me because of who he was, not because of what he did. See, this is so critical to understand as a Christian. You see, as a Christian, we're born again, and we're born again, and we take on the last name of Christ. And I really believe the last name of Christ is righteousness. You study it in the Bible. Every time Paul the Apostle uses the word righteousness, he always taught the word righteousness as a noun, not a verb. Unfortunately, in a lot of the churches that we've grown up in, we've heard our whole life righteousness taught as a verb. Righteousness is what you do. You need to be good. You need to be righteous so that God doesn't get mad at you and God doesn't come after you. And Paul, Paul didn't teach that at all. He said, no, righteousness is not what you do. Righteousness is who you are because of what Christ did. When you were born again, you became righteous because of the Father, not because of you, not your performance, not your efforts, nothing to do with you. It's critical that you understand your acceptance to God so that you have the security to live out your life. 
And it's critical as parents, we create an environment for our children where they are unconditionally accepted. Doesn't mean we, we accept all of their behavior, but we accept them in who they are. Unconditional, because a lot of people today are li- still living in this performance anxiety because of parenting issues from their childhood, never feeling like they add up, never feeling like they're good enough, never feel like they've done enough. Acceptance brings security. Second principle is affirmation. Affirmation brings a sense of significance to a child. Yes, they need to be secure in who they are, but they also must understand that what they do matters. How they live their life matters, and that's what significance teaches them. Significance helps them understand that they can actually make a difference in the lives of others with their behavior, with their actions, with their abilities. And so affirmation, affirming the right things in our children is critical to their life's significance. We see this with Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus has an encounter with a group of children. It says he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. He blessed them. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard what Jesus said to those children that day? The Bible doesn't record it for us, so we can only imagine what he spoke over the life of these children, the blessing, the life, the the encouragement, the, the words of life. That's why one of the things I said last week as parents, we have to, and this is hard work, we've got to be intentional, we have to catch our children doing right far more than we catch them doing wrong. We need to affirm the good qualities of their life far more than we correct the bad qualities of their life. Let me give you an example that I've been guilty of in my life. Uh, we have a home office that I work out of a lot. And there's times where I'll be working in my home office in the back room. And I'll be sitting at my desk or sitting in my chair reading or studying or doing something. And my son will come back and something good just happened in his life. And he wants to tell me all about it. Or he just had a, a great day at school. Or he learned how to do a new trick on a skateboard or something. And he wants to come tell me all about it. And I don't know how many times where I've said to him, well, not right now. I'm in the middle of something. I'm busy. Let's talk at dinner. We're going to have dinner in an hour, and you can tell me all about it. And yet at the very same time, what's really interesting to me is if he's out, you know, in the kitchen or the living room, and he breaks something or gets in trouble or does something, and I hear my wife, Asher, immediately I'm like, send him in here right now. I'm going to talk to that kid. Isn't it interesting, when he does something good, I don't have time to talk to him. But somehow, when he gets himself into trouble, I now make the time for him that I didn't have a moment before. What what are we communicating? See, I want my son to remember me more for the encouragement than the correction. My wife, she's so good at this. She's, She's so affirming to him. One of the things I love that she does is she'll do this randomly with him all the time. We'll be driving down the road or we'll be doing something as a family. And she'll look at my son and she says, you know what? I think God loves me more than any other mom in the world. And my son will be like, why? And she'll say, because he gave me you. I get to be your mom. And that affirmation just, it, it builds him up and encourages him. Again, back to Matthew 3, when God speaks over his son Jesus, he said, this is my son. And look at the next phrase. Whom I love, with him, with him I am well pleased. What's interesting is Jesus hadn't done anything yet. 
He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't performed any miracles. He hadn't taught the multitude. He hadn't raised the dead. He had lived a quiet, routine, normal life. And the father says, I am so pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. He affirmed him, and it built up his significance. It launched his ministry. It was the, the acceptance and the affirmation that launched the ministry of Christ, the public ministry. The third thing is affection. Affection brings a child a sense of lovability. It makes a child feel like, I am worthy to be loved. I am lovable. So many kids today don't feel like anybody loves them. They don't feel lovable. That's why they're making some very unhealthy choices so that they could feel loved. I was a youth pastor in Los Angeles for many years, and we worked with a lot of gang members on the streets of Los Angeles, and I saw these kids make terrible choices with their life, joining gangs. Why? So that they could feel loved. So they could feel like they had a family that loved them. Again, back to the story with Jesus and the children in Mark 10. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so Jesus could touch them and bless them. What this shows us is children need, desperately, they need healthy, loving, appropriate touch in their life. Children need to be touched in healthy, loving, appropriate ways and unfortunately, Satan has perverted this in the world today, hasn't he? With all the scandals of, of abuse and molestation, Satan has taken something so holy and powerful and perverted it. And we have to learn how to develop a healthy form, an appropriate form of touch that our children desperately need. And that's what's happening here. If you look at this word touch in the Greek, it's the Greek word hapotomehi. And it means to attach oneself, to embrace, to touch, to hold close, to hold dear. The, the picture I get is Jesus sitting on the side of the hill, sitting on a rock, and, and kids are running up to him, and they're jumping in his lap, and he's hugging on the kids, and, and, and wrestling with the kids, and speaking life, and blessing these, and just having a ball with these children. This is why I know Jesus had to be the most fun guy to be around. First off, sinners like hanging out with Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but sinners don't like hanging out with religious people. They, they don't. But they love being around Jesus. And, and not only that, children. Jesus was like a kid magnet. Kids just flocked to him. There was something about him. He wasn't, you know, sometimes we get this picture of Jesus as this stoic kind of floating around, very zombie-like, you know, monotone. No, nothing further from the truth. He had to be been the life of a party for kids to jump into his arms. There's something so powerful to healthy, loving touch. In the 13th century, Frederick II, the Holy Roman Emperor, did a terribly tragic experiment on newborn children. They took 50 newborns, and he wanted to find out what would happen if these 50 newborn babies grew up and they never heard the human voice. He wanted to know what language would they speak if they never had any any audible sound, what language would they grow up speaking? And so he had some nurses assigned to care for these 50 babies. And the nurses were told, you, you can't show them any type of uh, comfort or care. You can feed them. You can change them. You can clothe them. But that's it. No, no contact. No, no loving touch. You can't speak around the children at all. Well, they found out that the children didn't speak any language. 
because all 50 babies died. And they didn't die for lack of physical nourishment because their physical needs were met. They died for lack of emotional and relational nourishment. There was no loving touch in their life. And I know this is tough for, for some people because there's certain personalities that are just not touchy. Like, like how many of you are real touchy-feely, kind of expressive? There's not a lot of people like that. And so it's, in our family, it's different because my son, he's the cuddler. Like he crawls up to our bed in the middle of the night and he has to sleep like a Lego. He like attaches himself right to you. Like he, he's got to have that contact to be able to, my wife, on the other hand, is totally different. She has to sleep with like 18 pillows separating us between the bed, like no physical touch. Like she cannot sleep with any physical contact at all. And for a lot of guys, guys are weird about touch. I mean, for most men, touch for most men is like, you know, a good firm handshake and a look in the eye. That's like a holy sacred moment for a lot of guys. That's like, that's it. And, and if a guy does hug, it's, you know, a quick hug, three pats on the back, break, walk away. Anything longer than that becomes a little questionable, doesn't it? Except in sports. Sports is the only arena where guys can touch in ways that they can't touch anywhere else. Like, you know, the quarterback has a great play. He's walking back to the bench, and the coach just love to kind of slap him on the butt. Great job. Can you imagine that in the corporate world? Like, imagine that in the boardroom. Like, you're doing a presentation for the board, and you've got your PowerPoint, and you're just, like, killing it, and you're walking back to the seat, and the boss is like, great job, Jim, slaps you right on the butt. That would be weird, wouldn't it? That, that, like, that wouldn't work at all. So I get the fact that some of you are thinking, you know, I'm just not a touchy-feely guy. If you have children, for the sake of your children, you have to learn how. There's no excuse. There's power in loving, healthy appropriate touch. We see it throughout scripture in Mark 6, wherever he, meaning Jesus, went in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. When you do a word study of this word touch in the gospels, it occurs 20 times in regards to Jesus. Every single time, healing power was released. They did some research on touch in children, and I put this in your notes for you, and they discovered the need for appropriate touch dramatically increases for girls during their preteen years. And for a lot of dads who have daughters, that they get a little wigged out because that's the season of life where you know, they're going through puberty, they're going through adolescence, their bodies start developing, and dads get a little you know, weird about it. I'm telling you right now, the most important thing you can do to deter sexual sin in your daughter's line, life is learn how to give healthy, appropriate affection to them. See, if, if they learn to receive it from us in a godly way, they're not going to go looking for it from the world in an ungodly way. And for those of you men that are here today that have daughters, if you have a daughter, you've got to realize you are the only person in the history of the world. Think about this. You're the only person in the history of the world that can give that girl the most significant thing in her life, and that's a daddy's love. No one else will ever be able to do it. Goes on to say, girls are touched in loving, appropriate ways five times as often as boys. So girls receive more healthy, appropriate touch than boys. However, 
boys need loving touch just as much as girls. Boys need the contact just as much as girls. And, and as a dad, you got to be a little bit more creative about this. Sometimes it's secret handshakes. For my son, it's tackling him. I, I tackle him every time I see him. Like, I just love to tackle him, pick him up, body slam him. I mean, that for him is loving touch. He loves his morning wrestle. And, and that's that physical contact that if he was a girl, probably would be different. But as a boy, that's the physical contact that, that he craves, and he needs that touch in his life. See, one of the problems is we have kids, teenagers, having sex today so that they could feel lovable. I read an article of a mother yesterday while I was preparing for this message. She had a 15-year-old daughter who slept with 17 guys last year. And she asked her daughter, like, what's going on? Do you have this sex drive that is just out of control? She said, no, Mom, honestly, I don't even enjoy sex. But every time I have sex, I hear the words, I love you. And I feel for a moment love. Girls had her heart broken over and over and over just so that she could feel love for even a moment. I'm telling you, if, if, if they don't get it from us, we can't criticize them from finding it in the world. We need to verbalize it. That's affirmation. We need to demonstrate it. That's affection. And then finally, number four, availability. Availability lets a child know they are important. It gives them a sense of importance. I am not just what I do, my significance, not just who I am, my security. I am important. And let me illustrate it by asking this question. How do kids spell love? How do children spell the word love? Simple, T-I-M-E. Time. Again, back to Mark chapter 10, the story of Jesus and the children. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. See, this was a culture where children had no rights. Children had very little value. Children weren't to interrupt adults in public. In fact, they had such low value, you could stone a child to death for rebellion in this culture. And the disciples are mad because all these parents are bringing kids to Jesus. Jesus is important. He's the rabbi. He's the master. Don't bring these insignificant little kids to Jesus. When Jesus saw what these disciples were doing, he was angry. He got mad with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. I am available to these children. I have time for these children. They are important to God, and they are important to me. How many people here tonight are NASCAR fans? Is there any NASCAR fans? There's not many in North County, any NASCAR fans. God can help you with that. Um, they tell me it's a sport. I don't get it. I mean, you drive straight, turn left. You drive straight, you turn left. I, you know, I, what, what to me is very impressive, though, about NASCAR is the pit stop. Have you ever seen a NASCAR pit stop in a movie or, or on television or seen it live? 12 to 15 seconds, what they can accomplish is incredible. I mean, they can change four tires, change the oil, make a latte, get a Happy Meal. 12 to 15 seconds, they're gone. It's incredible to watch what they do. Well, what I'm seeing a lot of in the world today is pit stop parenting. 
So what we're seeing a lot of is pit stop parenting. Parent, parent flies in the house from a long day at work, get your homework, get your bed, get you this, get the boom, gone, boom. And it's pit stop parenting. And you say, well, that, that's, a, that's a bit of an extreme example. You're right, it is. Because the average father in America is much more generous than that. Studies tell us that fathers in America, on average, spend 37 seconds a day of meaningful interaction with their children. 37 seconds a day of meaningful interaction. And for those of you that are single parents, you amaze me. I admire It's hard enough doing it with two of us. I can't even fathom what it would be like to have to be a single parent. But the truth is, all of us, if we're not careful, will find excuses for why we don't have time. One of the things I, I found myself doing that my wife really helped me with a few years ago is you know, I don't have a lot of time during the week to return phone calls and to return emails. I almost need a whole day just, just to do emails. And so a lot, oftentimes what I'll try to do is I, I try to return phone calls in the car while I'm driving home from work, just try to knock them out and get them out of the way. And what I didn't realize what I was doing is when I would get home from work on the phone, uh, the phone call wouldn't end in, in, you know, a couple more minutes to try to wrap the phone call up. And as I would get home and our garage door would open, my son was about three or four at the time. My wife would tell me he, he would literally go berserk. Like he, would, he would go, I mean, flying, spinning, and daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home. Like he's psyched out of his mind that daddy's home. Like, he's just going wild at daddy's home. And he'd run down the stairs, open up the garage doors. I'm getting out of the car. And what I didn't realize that I was doing to him is I'd get out of the car, and I'd be wrapping up a phone call, and I'm on the phone, and I'd see him all excited, and I'd kind of pat him on the head, brush him out of the way, and head up the stairs as I finish my phone call. And I don't know who I was talking to. And I honestly, I don't even remember what I was talking about half the time. But what I do know is whatever it was, it wasn't more important than my son. And I can't get that time back. I don't get a do-over on that one. And what I communicated to him in that moment is you are not as important as what I'm working on right now. And how many times have we done that as parents? Not right now. I've got a meeting. I'm busy. See, we used to work 40 hours a week. Do you remember those days? Now, because of smartphones and technology, we're on call 24 hours a day, aren't we? It's gotten out of hand. Imagine if your boss treated you that way. Some of you have a pretty good relationship with your boss. Imagine going into your boss's office Friday afternoon. You just need him to answer something very quickly, just, just a moment of his time. And you stop by his secretary's desk, can you tell him it's me? Like, we're good friends, just tell him it's me. I just need a minute of his time, I just need him to answer this. And, you know, secretary calls him, and you hear him on the phone say, well, tell him to come back Tuesday. I, I just, I, tell him it's me. Tell him it's me. I just need a moment of his time. Yeah, tell him to come back Tuesday. How would you feel? How would you feel? You'd feel completely unimportant. Well, maybe if I was a vice president in the company, he'd make time for me, but obviously he doesn't have time for me because I'm not important enough. And yet, how often have we done that with our children? And I know one of the things I hear a lot of people say, well, it's not quantity, it's quality. Well, let me give you a truth about children. Quantity time creates quality time. 
You don't get the quality time without quantity time. You got to choose what you're going to make time for. I heard Billy Graham say in an interview a few years back, Billy Graham's now is in his 90s. He's preached to 215 million people face to face. He's led hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He's written over 100 books. He's counseled presidents. Been one of the most influential men in the history of Christianity. And they asked Billy Graham, do you have any regrets? Do you have any, looking at your life, is there any regrets? I'll tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, I wish I would have done 10 more crusades. He didn't say, I wish I would have written another book. What he said was, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. And isn't that the truth? No one's on their deathbed going to say, wish I would have spent more time at work. I'm telling you, if you don't decide to do it now, it's very likely not going to happen. James chapter 4 says, how do you know? How do you know what your life's going to be like tomorrow? You know, one of the things I hear from, from business people in our church often, they say, well, this is just the season we're in. It's just a tough season. I just got to get through this season. Then I'll have more time for my family. I just need to get through this season. There's always going to be a season. There's always going to be a season. And how do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? How do you know you're going to make it through this season? Brings me back to a story I told a couple weeks ago about Josh McDowell. He's working on another book, and his, his son Josh runs into the room Josh was probably four or five at the time. Wanted to tell his dad about the day. Josh says, well, Sean, we're going to have dinner in an hour. We'll sit at the dinner table, and you can tell me all about it. And Sean runs out. A few minutes later, Josh's wife walks in and says, Josh, I'm only going to say this once. Men, here's a Mother's Day nugget. If your wife says, I'm only going to say this once, listen. Listen. She said, you're always going to have a book to write. You're always going to have a deadline. You're always going to have a project. Something's always going to be due. You're not always going to have a four-year-old that wants to tell you about his day. How do you know what your life's going to be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. It's gone. So let me leave you with this. If we will show affection to our children now, they're going to show affection to us later. You ever seen adult children who still walk up to their parents and kiss them on the cheek and kiss them on the forehead and love to hug their mom? You ever seen adult children like that? What do you think their childhood was like? How many of you have seen adult children who there's like no physical contact with their parents, maybe a handshake if they're in the room together? What do you think their childhood was like? If you show interest in your children now, they're going to show interest in you later and Finally, if you spend time with them now, they will spend time with you later again. I know adult children, 20s, 30s, who love being around their mom and dad. And I know other adult children who dread the thought of having to go see their family. These are powerful principles. 
And it's never too late. You may have adult children and you may be feeling really bad right now because you've missed some of these. It's never too late. It's never too late with the grace of God to begin to apply these to your family. Even if they're, even if they're out of the home, it's never too late to apply these. As I was working on this yesterday, I was thinking, for many people, I remember the first time I heard these four principles. Josh McDowell actually taught these to me about 10, 15 years ago. The first time I heard these four principles, it hurt. To be very honest with you, it hurt. Because it showed me why I had some of the issues I had. Because when I heard these principles, I realized what I didn't get growing up. I realized all the deficiencies in my life. It made sense. Now I know why I struggle with insecurity. Now I know why I don't think anybody loves me and that, that I'm really not lovable. I lived for years not even thinking God loved me. To be very honest with you, I had this like weird big brother syndrome going with Jesus. Like Jesus is this perfect son. I'm the screw up son. God can't love me. I mean, he's got Jesus. Nothing more warped, but that's the way I lived. That's the way I felt. If you would have known me 10, 15 years ago, I was the most insecure person you, you possibly could be around. And when I heard this, it hurt because I, because I looked at it and I said, well, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. No wonder I'm like I am. And, and it was revealing and it was painful for me. And I know for some of you, you're, you're feeling that and experiencing that tonight. Let me give you the good news. The Bible says God will be a father to the fatherless. When I learned to allow God to truly be my father, when I went all in and I surrendered it all and I said, God, you can be my father. Can I tell you, he corrected every one of those deficiencies in my life. I'll be very honest with you. You can talk to the people that know me closely. I, I am one of the most secure people I know. Like I rarely struggle with insecurity now. Like I know who I am. I know what God's called me to do. I don't always necessarily think God made the best choice, but I know I'm chosen. Like, I'm very secure in the fact that I've been chosen. Like, I am very, very secure about who I am. I, I've never felt more loved in my life than I do right now. I've never felt more significant, more important. Why? I allowed God to correct all of those deficiencies. I allow God to be the, the father that I never had growing up. The good news, it's never too late. It's never too late for God to come into your life and give you all the things you never got as a child. To restore all of those deficiencies, to correct them. And it's been a powerful journey for me. And it's amazing, to, it's a miracle to see where I'm at today compared to where I was. And it's all because I let him be a father. And, and that was hard at first because of my real father. A lot of times when we have a, a messed up situation with our real father, we, we kind of keep God at an arm's length. I don't want a father. I had a father and it didn't work out well, so I don't, I don't want that again. It took some time for me to get to the place where I could say, okay, God, I'll let you be my father. And what I realized is God is a father that will never fail. He will never hurt. He will never betray and he will never leave. And that's available to each and every one of you. Is, 
thing you need to know about God is he never, he, he never set about to create a religion. He didn't want to create a religion. It was, it was never about religion for him. It was always about relationship. God wants to build a family, and he desperately wants you to be a part of it. He does not want you to join his religion. He wants you to be a part of his family. That's the power of who he is. Would you close your eyes with me? Before we leave tonight, if you're here, and you need God to be that father, to, to kind of restore some of the deficiencies, correct some of the areas of your life that just were neglected. The first step is going all in. You've got to go all in. The Bible is very clear. You cannot get to the father except through Jesus Christ, the son. The only way is for us to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to and when we surrender our life to Jesus, God becomes our father. Now, he is your father in you know, theory, but he cannot become your personal father until you allow him to. He's everyone's father. He created everybody. But he wants to be your personal father, a personal friendship, relationship with you. And so if that would describe you in this this might be the very first time you've ever given your life to Jesus, or maybe it's time for you to come home. Come home, and you know what that means. It's time for you to come back. It's time for you to rededicate your life to Christ today. Before we leave, I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere. You don't even have to pray this out loud. This is just a moment between you and God. And with every eye closed, just so I know who's praying with me, if, if you'd like to join me in a very simple prayer, would you very quickly just raise your hand and then put it back down so that I know who's joining me in prayer tonight. Right now, just raise it and then put it right back down. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Just thank you. The prayer is very simple. In your heart, pray this. Say, Jesus, tonight I give you my life. I give you complete control. Forgive me of the sin that separated me from you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you unconditionally accept me regardless of my performance. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Before we leave tonight, would you stand with me? I want to just pray over you, and then the worship team is going to lead us for a moment. Father, I pray over every parent and every future parent here today. God, I pray that these principles will go deep into our heart, that we will create environments for our children. The way you treat us, that it will reflect your heart, that we will unconditionally accept our kids for who they are. We will affirm them. God, we will give them healthy, loving, appropriate affection. And God, we would make ourselves available because we only have this one shot with them. And then they're grown. God, for those of us who did not have parents that gave us these things growing up, I pray that we would completely give ourselves to you to allow you to be the father that we never experienced here on earth that all of these deficiencies in our life would be corrected. That we could live secure, we could live significant, we could live important, and we could live knowing that we are lovable. And you can correct every one of those through our relationship with you.
in the name of Jesus.